There once was a, a little girl uh, at Christmas time making some rather interesting observations about her family. Uh, one such observation was that before her mom put the ham uh, in the oven to be cooked, she cut off both ends of it. And she thought this was a little strange, so she said, Mom, why did you just do that? Why did you cut both ends off of the ham? And her mother said, I don't know. That's just how Grandma always did it. And so she goes to her grandma, who happened to be there at Christmas, and said, Grandma, Mommy didn't know. Why, why did you cut off the ends of your ham before you cooked it? She says, well, that's just always what we did. That's what uh, my mom, your great-grandma, did. So I guess if you want to know, you could ask her. And so she goes to her great-grandma and says, great-grandma, why? I got to know, why did you cut off the ends of the ham? And the elderly woman looked at her great-granddaughter a little sheepishly as she explained, well, dearie, we were poor. We didn't have a lot of pans, and so I had to cut the ham to fit into the pan I had to get into the oven. And, and that's really just, and it, that story is really just an exaggerated example of what we tend to do a lot. We tend to just do things because that's how we've done them. We, we don't necessarily put a lot of thought into why we're doing what we're doing. And this can be especially true with stuff related to church. And so if you're joining us for the first time uh, this evening, we are actually wrapping up a brief series we're doing called Back to the Basics. We are looking at some basic practices of the Christian faith and, and seeking to understand why we do what we do. And we're actually going to look at two practices tonight because they go hand in hand. We're going to be looking at what are called the sacraments, uh, which we believe that there are two, baptism and communion. Uh, now, I did just use a big word, so we need to pause and define it. What is a sacrament? Well, a sacrament is a visible sign of an invisible reality that we participate in. And I can tell by your faces that didn't help you at all, so let me try to illustrate. Uh, what, what is on my finger? A wedding band, right? Does a wedding band make me married? No. A anyone can wear a wedding band, right? But if you are married, then a wedding band is a sign that you're married, right? It's a, it's a testament to your commitment to your spouse. And that's what a sacrament is, uh, see, uh, participating in one of the sacraments doesn't save you, it doesn't make you a Christian, but they are beneficial if you are a Christian because they demonstrate or they're a sign of what our life is like now that we're in Christ. And so what we're going to do tonight is we're going to look at these two practices and, and, and seek to understand their purpose, why we, do, why we participate in them. And so we're going to start with the, the one that first chronologically in the life of the believer, we're going to look at baptism. So baptism is a one-time practice that is done before a group of believers where a person, uh, the person getting baptized, professes faith in Jesus and then is subsequently submerged in the water. Now, if you've grown up in church, that's just commonplace. That's just the thing to do, right? But when you stop and think about it, it's actually quite strange that, that someone would get up in front of a bunch of strangers, fully clothed, and then get dunked in a tank. Like, it's, it's just, it's kind of a strange thing, especially when you factor in that there are, are varying ways that Christians practice baptism. Uh, for example, s uh, some don't practice full immersion baptism. Rather, they will sprinkle the converted individual. 
uh, or, or others will baptize children and say that, that this act has saved the child, regardless of whether they'll make a profession of faith in Jesus or not. And so to really talk about the practice of baptism, we need to make sure that we understand its purpose. And for that, we turn to Romans chapter 6, and we're going to look at verses 3 through 5. And when, as you turn there, let me just give you some context. So the Apostle Paul is actually arguing with an imaginary opponent here. Uh, and, and this invisible adversary is proposing that it's okay to keep sinning. Uh, in fact, it's a good thing if you keep sinning because it gives God more opportunities to show you grace. And Paul's answer to that is, no, that's dumb because you have died to sin. And here's how he explains our death to sin. Verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Uh, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So what Paul is saying is that the reality of your life, if you've accepted Jesus as your savior and king, is that you have been joined to Jesus, which means that you share in his death and therefore have died to sin's power over you. And it also means that you share in his life. But you can't really see any of that, and so baptism functions as a visible sign of the invisible reality that, that you've participated in by believing in Jesus. And so, so when you are submerged in the water, it, it's like we have died to our old rebellious life. And when we come up out of the water, it's as if we are entering into our new life. And, and the, the sacramental purpose of baptism really influences the way that we practice it here. So like the reason, for example, that we fully submerge people when we baptize them is because when you are joined to Jesus, you don't just get a sprinkling of his life and death. You are fully immersed in it. You share in it completely. And the reason we don't baptize people of any age who have not accepted Jesus as their savior is because the invisible reality is not there. If they haven't been joined to Jesus, if they haven't shared in his life and death, there's really no reason for them to participate in the sign of that, in baptism. So all that to say, uh, all that on the purpose to say this, why do we practice baptism? Well, besides the fact that Jesus commands us to do so, baptism is a public testimony of where your allegiance lies. It's a declaration to all who are present that your loyalty lies with Jesus, that you have been so united with him that you, ha- you share in his life and death, and that's what your baptism points to. Okay, are you with me so far? Sacraments are, are visible signs or practices that, that point to realities that we can't see. So baptism is one of them. Communion is the other. And communion has a few different names. There's communion, there's the Eucharist, there's the Lord's Supper, but we're all talking about the same practice. It normally goes something like this. At the end of the service, whether it be weekly, monthly, or some period of time, uh, a a little piece of bread will uh, be distributed to all the Christians in the audience with a little tiny cup of grape juice. And on cue, 
normally from when the pastor tells them to, they will eat it and drink it. Once again, if you grow up in the church, you think nothing of it, but if you kind of stop and think about the process, it's weird. But it's rooted in Jesus' instructions for his followers. If we turn over to 1 Corinthians, uh, we would find a letter written to a group of people who have several problems, one of which is that they have misunderstand what's happening with the Lord's Supper. And so the Apostle Paul is setting them straight in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, verses 23 through 26. It reads like this. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, some people um, understand communion, or they take this to mean that, that when we take the bread and the cup, they somehow mysteriously transform into the actual body and blood of Jesus, thereby if you take this, this sacrament, it saves you. But remember, sacraments don't save. Sacraments are signs. And Paul says that the sign here, that it's pointing us to Jesus' death. It, it aids us in remembering what he has done. And my guess is some of you are sitting there thinking, Caleb, I know Jesus died for me. I, I, I know he died for my sins. Why, why is this practice so important? Because communion is doing far more than simply saying Jesus died for you. Here are, are, are a few of the many things that, that communion is doing. When we take communion, we are visibly reminded of our great need for Jesus. Uh, much like we can't survive very long without food or drink, uh, we will shrivel up into nothing without being sustained by Jesus. He is as essential to us as food and drink is. And when we take communion, it, it, it actually counteracts one of the great lies that, that we can buy into as Christians. Um, it's very easy to believe, especially when we mess up, that, that we are worthless in the eyes of God, that, that he is uh, annoyed with us, and that he regrets the decision of making us a son or a daughter. But, but what 1 Peter 1, 18 through 19 tells us is that we were purchased not with gold or with silver, but with the precious blood of Jesus. And when we take communion, it's a visible reminder of God's value of you, that it's infinite, just like his valuation of his son, which he gave to purchase you. And when we take communion, we are reminded that regardless of what we are facing right now, the difficulties that we might be experiencing this, in this life, our king is coming again. So here's the point. If you have accepted Jesus as your savior and king, you have so much more than simply a get-out-of-hell-free card. You have been united with Jesus, and, and this is such a mind-blowing reality that God gives us visual aids with the sacraments to help us grasp the magnitude of it. And so what I'd like to encourage you to do is to thoughtfully participate in them if you're a Christian. 
That means if you haven't been baptized yet, I would challenge you to wrestle with why you haven't done that. What is keeping you from displaying your allegiance to Jesus, to letting your loyalties be known? And also the next time we take communion, which should be in a couple of Sundays, don't just try to be the first person to rip off the tab. Right? Take a moment, take a minute to contemplate what this means, the thing that you are holding represents, and use that as an opportunity to give thanks that your life is joined to Jesus. Thank you.